4: it's Film Study. We're back. It's the offensive episode for Week 17, closing out the regular season as we discuss that offensive play against the Bengals out in Cincinnati as weekend, can. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good,
2: Josh. How about you?
4: I can't complain. Uh, joining us this today is Kyle Barber. He is the chief editor of Baltimore Beatdown. So I'm sure you've uh, read uh, different articles of his and seen
1: his work around. Kyle, how are you doing? Thrilled to be on the show. I'm uh, doing pretty well right now. Doing things are things are looking up.
4: It's tough to complain when
2: your team's in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no doubt.
2: Yeah. Been a great run. Baltimore Beatdown, Been around now for a long time. Part of the SB Nation network, right?
1: Correct. Yes, we are okay. the Baltimore Ravens website covering. Uh, we cover the Baltimore Ravens for SB Nation.
2: Okay. All right. Great. And we've had Voss on the show a number of times, uh, a very knowledgeable and good guy. And he's your assistant editor in chief or how do you, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, the, the, official title that is given as deputy editor i see mm-hmm. him as you know just the number two guy and anything that um i see him uh, kind of like jerry rosberg was for john harbaugh <laughs> there you, that, go. you know when i interviewed Rossberg, i was like what does alternate head coach or associate head coach mean uh he said anything that harbaugh doesn't do that lands on my desk is essentially it and voss is uh is quite a pillar and cornerstone of baltimore beatdown has been for a long time i believe he was my first hire uh, when I when I did receive the managing editor position for Baltimore Beatdown, so yeah, he's been great, and like you said, he is a uh, he's brilliant. And I'm happy he's been on this show uh, for you guys.
2: Yeah, it's been very cool. He's definitely one of our one of our go to guys, and one of the first guys I call if we have a breakdown of some sort, and we need <laughs> a, we need a guest in short order. So that's been that's great. great. Uh, won very much by the 2019 formula in this last game. Uh, got off to a lead, played dominating defense with a lead. All those things you like to see and. I'd be hard-pressed, I have one thing maybe, but I'd be really hard-pressed to pick anything out of this game that does not portend well for the playoffs.
1: Yeah, uh, they were firing on all cylinders. Um, The offense looked great. Um, I know this is covering the offense, but the defense looked great too and only allowed three points. Um, I've made it known a few times now that I thought it was kind of a cowardly field goal to take. Uh, Mm -hmm. Zach Taylor celebrated two field goals against the Ravens in two matchups to avoid two shut da- you know shutouts and uh that's the whole uh, difference maker there between them scoring any points and a, a grand total of six in two matchups
2: yeah that's uh, certainly a 60 65 to six right 60 twenty-seven three 30, to 38 so 65 to six that's pretty yep. uh pretty remarkable the Ravens had a 75 to nothing run at home against the Bengals in a three-year period from 99 to 01. So uh, three straight shutouts, so that was pretty cool. But uh, but yeah, this was this was great. And uh, you know, at the same time, looking around the rest of the league and what's going on, we're hearing some of the news come out of Cleveland about a COVID outbreak there, and that potentially affecting their game. I, you know, I take no real pleasure in the Browns being put down for this. In fact, I, I really would have the Browns would have been in a position to beat the Steelers, knock them out, give the Ravens a better chance for a home game next week, give the Ravens a chance. For a home game next week still could happen, but I think what's most important about what we learned about the season is it's really not a fault thing. Like all of these things, the Ravens didn't engineer their own COVID outbreak, and all these other teams that have had problems since kind of painted that in a bold relief that let the Ravens kind of off the hook easy in terms of their penalty.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, they like you said, they just they most certainly did not engineer that, that wasn't planned, it wasn't structured, uh, and they were you know impacted by a, a separate covid outbreak by the Titans and Steelers matchup which you know swapped their bye week with the Steelers so the season could go on as scheduled so you know the Ravens were impacted multiple times through covid and their schedule uh you know had to operate around the uh the pandemic and the outbreak that was you know, occurring from them specifically and then also from a different team. Uh, certainly not thrilled that the Browns uh, are going to have to lose what it sounds like to be their head coach and uh, a couple other coaches as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, overall, um, you know, I'm, I was actually kind of happy and celebratory that the Browns made the playoffs. Um, I, uh, I truly enjoyed, uh, you know, the, the Monday, you know, maybe the uh the nationally televised game you know uh what many called the game of the year Mm -hmm. uh ravens browns matchup and uh you know i think it's gonna be more fun with the browns in the playoffs and uh i wish they were full strength you know just as much as i wish the uh maybe not just as much but uh i'm certainly wishing that the ravens were full strength right Mm -hmm. now with uh without injury
2: yeah they're, they're getting there and we're gonna come back in a minute and talk about the offensive line but josh first all right uh, now's the chance to get on my bookie lots
4: of excitement this weekend as you got NFL games on Saturday Sunday and then the championship college game on Monday night now's the time to head on over to my bookie and when you're over there make your first deposit using the code Ravens and they'll match you halfway and give you the head start on building your bankroll put in two hundred dollars and get an extra hundred dollars to play with it's easy to deposit it's easy to take out your money so head on over to my bookie and
2: make some extra cash with some playoff football this weekend all right thanks josh looking back now at the offensive line scoring this was a game where the ravens racked up 404 rushing yards obviously very close to the record in fact i was at a point at When they were at 350 yards, I was actually a little surprised they were that high after the Dobbins 72-yard run, and I'm also kind of surprised they didn't get it, because it looked to me, particularly after the the run by Hill for 16 yards, which I think was the second 16-yard run, about three plays, that they would probably get it, and then all of a sudden they didn't produce anything for the rest of the game
1: little disappointed they didn't get it. I wanted to uh, have the Ravens hang their cap on it. I believe the official record was against the Baltimore Colts as well, so this would have been a gratifying thing that you went from being the team that yeah. you know, accepted the most rushing yards to being the one delivering them. Um, I also wanted it from the standpoint that, you know, after the Bengals intercepted Lamar Jackson early in the game, they went to the end zone and took out the full end zone cam with the whole team posing and uh, then proceeded to allow over 400 rushing yards in a 38-3 to blowout. And I wanted just the photo of that to only resemble that they then allowed the most rushing yards in NFL history in a single game. Uh, I was a little <laughs> bummed they didn't get it.
2: Yep. A lot a lot of fun stuff happening around this. Go over the overall offensive line play for 73 scored snaps in this game. That's all of them offensively. The Ravens didn't have any uh, kneels or spikes in this one. Zero sacks allowed. That's always good. Uh, there were two quarterback hits. One of them was all Jackson for holding the ball too long. The other one was two thirds to the offensive line and one third on a free run. Uh, zero, actually, one third, I think, on Jackson holding the ball too long on that one as well because he could have gotten rid of it. Uh, zero pressures in 19 dropbacks. That's remarkable. And when you look under that, Lamar scrambled them out of five. So they would have had five if Lamar had thrown passes on those plays, which means I had to make some adjustments to scoring to kind of reflect that. But uh, it, the guy who was most uh, affected by that was Zeus, who was in, had lost his block on each of those five plays. And I always say this, this losing your block and losing your block when you're blocking for Lamar Jackson. Because if you remain engaged and intercede with that player— even if you run back into him, even if you're pushed back into him, you still give Jackson a chance to elude the pocket, work his magic, and maybe scramble for positive yardage.
1: You got to play to the whistle, and there's nothing like playing to the whistle when you got Lamar Jackson back there, who is uh, one of the most dynamic athletes, uh, maybe not just in football, but in, on, the, on the globe right now.
2: Yeah. Exciting player. Certainly reads leverage like no one we've ever seen in any sport and uh, remarkable there. Uh, Ample time and space on six of 19 dropbacks. That's 32%. Only three pressures out of 19 dropbacks against the Ravens. I remember one of those quarterback hits was holding the ball too long. So that was actually not a pressure, uh, not within three seconds anyway, and 10 others where the ball was out quickly. Uh, No runs for loss. Uh, There were four penalties for 25 yards. Those were the major deduction from the offensive line in this game. And I'm sure with one particular lineman, people are not going to like my grade on him, but that's the way it goes. Uh, Team pulled. Now, this is remarkable. 54 running plays. First of all, that's remarkable. And we know that a fair number of those were scrambles, maybe six or seven. So 48 times, 39 successfully, the Ravens executed a pull. In this game, that's approximately one per designed run driven by a lot of these two man counter plays a lot of left guard left tackle going right left guard or right guard right tackle going left and they also had some center left guard and some center uh, sorry center left tackle and center right tackle movement as well
1: just the structure of the offense and the offensive line and, and the structure of the play designs to be able to move your ta- you know your tackles your guards and even the center so frequently and succeed so much like mm-hmm. you pointed out is just a testament to uh, I think Greg Roman kind of getting back to the the 2019 roots of uh you know of their success and it's been exciting to watch over these last four weeks they've you know averaged over 260 rushing yards per game, and uh, this was obviously the the biggest one of them, mm-hmm. and this is what happens when everything's working right, when everything is hitting, uh, and you, you get a hat on a hat, like they all shout down there uh, on the training camp field, uh, good things happen, and good things occurred in 400 rushing yards in this matchup.
2: Yeah, you know, you, you're talking about something that's, that's like near a deer here, considering they're going to, about to play the Titans again, because When they played the Titans last year in the playoffs, the Titans found a way to neutralize that outside read option out of the pistol, which almost always involved Gus Edwards or Ingram taking the straight-ahead look and Jackson looking to beat somebody on the edge. Now, Jackson's had an injury that I'm not sure is still completely healed with his groin that uh, has been limiting his lateral movement, and he hasn't been as good on the edge this year as he has been just going straight up the middle and eluding players, which requires, I think, less lateral movement. So they've been using instead of the pistol, they've been using the sidecar, or the king and queen, people call it, but the sidecar mostly to allow Dobbins to be the outside speed threat while Lamar is a middle threat. And they'll often have a jet sweep going the other direction to have a third threat in there. And then they'll mix that up with these two man pulls. And by the way, that's one of the cool things about the Ravens offense is when they pull two, you still have no idea where the ball is going, do you?
1: No, you have no idea. You just have two big blockers heading your way, and you got to make the read before you know Lamar Jackson commits a uh, another vanishing act, or J.K. Dobbins is burning through the sideline, or like you mentioned with the motion, with the jet sweep possibility. Maybe somebody's you know Duvernay or Marquise Brown in some interest, mm. you know, in some instances is already gone along the edge or outside or somewhere else.
2: It is a fun offense to work. It's very much an old-timey offense, but it it does just give them three different options. It gives them a gap option and a power option and a speed option, all on the same play, which I'm just loving. And This will be nothing that the Titans have prepared for. It'll be nothing about the way they beat the Ravens last year, which, frankly, a lot of that was the Ravens beating themselves with some fourth down mistakes and a couple turnovers. Uh, but but this is I think this this is a Ravens team that should be well prepared at least in terms of having an offense that can beat a Titans defense it has some legitimate flaws.
1: I would agree with that. Uh, something that I'm curious about uh, is is this a fun thing to grade when you have so many th- you know <laughs> like you mentioned there's so many threats available. Does it make it more difficult to grade or is it or and or is it more fun to grade when you get to see so many interesting and intricate details in this kind of an offense?
2: Okay, I I really appreciate the question, first of all. So my wife and I do the grading together. Okay, so Maureen is terrific at at handling the score sheet while I kind of handle the remote and call it out and whatnot, and it's something we've really enjoyed. So it's just from that perspective, it's a lot of fun. It takes us about two and a half to three hours now for a game, and that's what now that we're a fairly well oiled machine in terms of knowing exactly what we're looking <laughs> for in every play and calling it out. But it, but I will say this: run plays are more complicated to score in terms of the blocking, so it takes us a little longer to do that. So while this is a you know a fifty-four run game is about as many as the Ravens have ever had. I can't remember them ever running more. They had 52 in the playoffs against new England. The time they went up to new England and beat the crap out of them, Uh, which time the first time in two after the 2009 season, but, but the uh, uh, it's, I would say it's fun because you know, it's, it's a lot of having to read the play and figure it out. And then you notice things and you have to write down. And then the other part is fun too. All of the stuff about when Lamar Jackson is, is running out of a pressure, we, you know, we, we note that as well. And we have, Uh, you know, scoring codes for that. So it's uh, this season, just because of who Roman is, it's a lot of fun to grade the offensive line, even if it takes a little longer than it had in the Flacco years.
1: So it's a yes to both. It is more intricate, but it's also more fun,
2: more intricate, more fun. I go along with that Kyle. All right. So let's talk about left tackle here. Uh, Zeus had a fine game, I'd say, but he did benefit from Lauren Jackson's scramble. So he lost at the line of scrimmage on all five of the times that Lamar Jackson had an 8-R on our score sheet where he ran out of a pressure. Uh, but he did not allow any pass rush events otherwise, which is really good. Now, some of those pressures he actually would have shared, so he wouldn't have ended up with five full pressures, but maybe three out of these five would have been a reasonable uh, thing. He missed nine blocks in total, five of those we've already accounted for, four others. He had a false start in the game. Five of eight pulls. Now, uh, Orlando Brown's been pulling a lot lately, and most of those are selling a fake, so he doesn't actually have to make contact. But when he's been making contact, it's been a really effective either level two block, uh, usually. Or an edge block where he's uh, forcing someone to the outside of that play, and and I, I've just I've really been enjoying watching him do what he can in terms of mobility because when he's on the backside of a run play, it's much less likely that he can impact it.
1: Makes a lot of sense. Uh, that's something that I have not noticed enough is that. Orlando Brown Jr. is pulling on the plays uh, I know we're going to get to him but Bozeman's been the guy that oh, yeah. I watch all the time and he's going to second levels, he's sprinting across the formations, you know, he's getting, you know, as soon as the snap going, I'm watching where he's going a lot of the time just because it's fun to watch him and I root for him, you know, he's been on our podcast, we had an interview with him which was fun and, uh, you know, and I root for the guy, he's, he's up for the Walter Payton man of the year you know, yeah. he's done some great stuff off the field um, for, uh, for, the, for the city of Baltimore and, and uh, he's got a great foundation, the Nikki and Bradley Foundation, I believe is what it's called. He's just been an excellent guy, and I've been rooting for him just to, to succeed. And it's been so much fun to watch that happen. And uh, But going back to Brown, as you mentioned, um, I haven't noticed enough on him uh, particularly other than, you know, I, I don't get to see this through the same set of eyes that you do and the same analysis that you do. But it's really fun to see him just grow and thrive as a left tackle because, you know, we all thought he would – be up to the task but how great of it would he become Mm -hmm. and uh from what i've seen uh he's he's looked pretty solid uh you know uh filling in for ronnie stanley and it's going to be interesting when uh when uh contract talks happen where he's going to land as far as uh left tackle money versus right tackle money because there is a difference in those numbers
2: yeah, there's there's a difference to those numbers and it might end up pricing him out of Baltimore. There's there's another team that's gonna be more desperate at left tackle than the Ravens are, not with Stanley, and they'll they may be the team that he ends up going, I hope he can stay and play right tackle with the Ravens. I just think it, it becomes less likely with every fine game uh that he's had.
1: Completely agree.
2: All right. So I, a B in the game was how I graded it out. But if I if I didn't have a, a bottom on subjective adjustments, I, I don't allow them to be negative. I probably would have graded him a C or a C minus based on this game. But very solid game still, frankly, and nothing wrong with getting a C when you're when you're out of position or even when you're in position and you're uh, and you're you know, playing some solid games. There's a lot of variation in game to game grading. Let's move on to Bozeman here. You mentioned him already. I, I thought he played very well. He avoided any pass-blocking charges or penalties in this game. Seven missed blocks. Here's the big number. 17 of 21 pulls. Now, I have to go back. I thought I remember James Hurst in 2017 having 23 in a game, or perhaps a combination of two different left guards having 23 in a game. But this is very close to the record. For a long time, it was 19 by Yonda in that game, that playoff wildcard game at New England where they where they. Ended up running the ball 52 times. Uh, but anyway, he, he uh, had a remarkable game here. The 17 of 21 polls is really an excellent rate. Uh, it doesn't necessarily seem it because he missed the most polls of any Raven in this game too. But uh, an 80% rate on blocks where he has to kind of move and make them in space, make choices. That's a hard thing to do. And it really deserves to be properly appreciated.
1: Yeah, like you said, you know, he um, he had the most polls and the most blocks and uh, he had the most missed ones. And this is where the argument that everybody loves to uh, sometimes forget when they're when they're going through data analysis and, and you know, utilization of data for an argument is sample size matters. Yeah. And <laughs> like you mentioned, he had the most of these polls, he had the most of these blocks and uh, and yes he missed the most, but like you mentioned, it deserves to be appreciated. That's a lot of movement and that's a lot of uh, uh, of just uh, stamina that you're asking to be required by a big offensive lineman. You know, somebody that has to get out ahead and has to, you know, get across the formation or, or pull into a direction that he has to also then, you know, come into contact with another big defender and, uh, and try and combat that enough to open up a lane or fake sell, you know, selling, mm-hmm. opening up a lane, whatever, whatso have you. And like you mentioned, I, I greatly appreciate the work that Bozeman has done over the course of this entire season. Yeah, you know, you know, when he's doing stuff like this, 21 pulls, that's a lot to ask of any offensive lineman. And he's doing it at a rate like uh, of what you have here at 80%. That's mm-hmm. fantastic to see.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it definitely is. Now here's the other thing. He made six blocks in level two, the Ravens as an offense in this game. all just the, just the seven offensive linemen who played made 50, 50 blocks in level two. So 48 pulls and 50 blocks in level two. That's an, uh, just out of this world number. I go across the line. I'm just going to read them off to you right now. Orlando Brown. Something that I've, I've heard Vinny say on air that Orlando Brown is useless in level two. 11 blocks in level two in this game. Bozeman six. Uh, TCC nine. We had powers with 10. Uh, this is another amazing one. Fluker was six and he only played 32 snaps. Uh, five more for for Phillips, who shared the right tackle position, and three for Bredesen in just 17 snaps. So a, a remarkable game of of uh, getting into level two. And I think part of that might have been the fact that the Bengals, for at least the second half and probably part of the first half, were very disinterested in playing this football game. There wasn't really anybody in that front seven who was giving a particularly good effort through contact. And what I mean by that is when they when they were blocked, they just wanted to engage with the block and brother-in-law it, instead of really trying to get off the block in the way they normally were. And the guy who was most guilty of it is the big talker Jermaine Pratt, who <laughs> had come out before the game and, and said all sorts of stuff.
1: I'm thrilled that this is what you mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. For for many things, one, I like that you you called out that you know that Orlando Brown has been doing the job at the second level when somebody else uh, has uh, said that he hasn't been doing it. You got the data to back that up. I respect that, Ken. Nicely done, uh, Jermaine <laughs> Pratt. You know, and uh, the the amount of talk that he did on Twitter. And then for him to be the, the victim of J.K. Dobbins' stiff arm as he sprinted off to that 72-yard rushing touchdown, happy that he's being called out there as well. Um, and I respect J.K. Dobbins' response, and I think this is kind of what you were mentioning, is that uh, they'll let them do the talking. Uh, the the Ravens are just going to go out there and play ball, is what he said. And what you mentioned is that they were just interested in getting and you know engaged in the blocks. And I like the term brother-in-lawing it and mm-hmm. just kind of dealing with the block and letting the play develop so much as instead of um, combating it, challenging it, and working through it, they were just there. So uh, they were just there so they couldn't get fined, is what it felt mm-hmm. like. And uh, those are some great points, Ken.
2: Yeah, finish finish the season, not get injured. And I understand nobody wants to get injured. A, going into a contract. B, even if you're still staying on the same team because your team might not want you next year. If you're not ready to play in OTAs and somehow puts you at a competitive disadvantage in a position, nobody wants that. And hey, if you're going on a vacation, who wants to get sick right before vacation? You understand that, certainly. So if you're a football player, you don't want to get hurt if you, when you're planning a trip to wherever
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, of course. To, to
2: spend your time. So uh, anyway, understood and still not really uh, respected in terms of, of how they played this football game. Uh, a for Bozeman on the game uh, in this one. I'll move on to TCC, who replaced McCary in this game. Were you a little surprised by that, Kyle, in terms of TCC over Scura? Uh,
1: um, I don't think so. Uh, the Scura snaps failures, um, and what, from what I've seen from him, I was—I uh, I do my winners, losers, MVP articles, and Scura has found himself on more losers than winners articles on Baltimore beatdown. Um, I just. I think they really want to see what they got with TCC. Uh, he had a decent start from what I remember a few games back, or he performed well when when called upon. Um, I don't have your grading in front of me, but uh, I think he did decent, and uh, I want and I kind of wanted to see what it, what he'd perform with too, especially against the Bengals. Um, yes, it's a win and in situation. But this is kind of a good game, Week 17. You know the, the Bengals aren't coming out there for anything but pride, and clearly they didn't have a whole lot of it. <laughs> uh, and so so you get to, you got to evaluate what you got there, and you can move forward maybe heading into the new year uh, or the new season uh, with a little bit more film on, on TCC before, uh, before the next set of training camp, before OTAs, to, to evaluate what you want to do with that position heading into free agency and the draft as well.
2: You know that's a that's a great point. And I really hadn't even thought of that honestly. Because Skura, I think they know what they have for next year. This this yeah. year, TCC, I think I think he gave them one more thing than Skura in this game, which was he gave them a lower variance performance. Meaning Skura, if he'd had a bad performance, it could have been snaps all over the place, and they could have rectified that situation. The first bad snap, you can pull Skura and put TCC at. But they also know what they have in Skura as a player. I think they, they like it, but it's but he's not the guy they want in terms of taking snap risk against a bad team where literally that's the only way you're going to get beat by the Cincinnati Bengals is if you have a couple of snaps go way off target and it creates a couple of big negative plays or, or a turnover.
1: Yeah, that's uh what was mentioned with you know when Harbaugh was saying not to stick that ball out there across yes. the line against J. K. Dobbins. This is it. That's the only way they're gonna beat us. I'd rather you get down and we you can run another play. And that's and, and that's it. You know, you don't wanna put a danger of, you know, squirrel baby having a bad snap. Like I like the you know, when he has a bad game, you know the variance there is. It could be far more significant than it could be with Tristan Colon Castillo. And mm-hmm. and you want to evaluate him, and you want to mitigate risk, in a in a control your destiny. Uh, you know, head to the postseason football game.
2: Yep, ex- exactly right. And, and, and going to the other point you made, which is that they they wanted to learn what they have with Tristan Colon Castillo. I love that. I love the idea of giving some of your backups a little bit of time to play. It could have been in the second half, but in this case, the other component made it worth it being the start. But they have so many decisions to make on that offensive line for next year they really need to start gathering data when they can they need to know about Colon castillo but he's not the only candidate center next year if they had to they could move bozeman but the only time they can really move bozeman is during the offseason. i frankly think it's a dumb idea right now i think they want to keep him at left guard he, he's the pulling machine and and there's no need to, to take a chance on another player not being that i think he's he's doing exactly what's needed
1: yeah I agree with that. Uh, You know, the pulling machine. Bradley, the pulling machine, Bozeman, makes most sense. I don't see his uh, need for him to move back to center where he was at Alabama. He's been, you know, he's found his role with the Baltimore Ravens as the left guard. You can evaluate what you have at TCC. You can see if he's performing better, worse, or at the same level as Makari. you got to head into the draft. Maybe this is a a position that they want to... uh, you know, bolster uh, with a mid-round pick or something, maybe even high if they find somebody at the right price, you know, right value. Um, And and, uh, just getting ahead of this instead of waiting until oh we should have we should have maybe had him in the game against the Bengals to evaluate that uh you know now we got to wait all the way until OTAs before we get some true like game film on him and even OTAs isn't true game film now you can see him against uh you know an NFL opponent with a start so he knows that he's got to go in here and perform at the expectation that he knows uh you know could be you know maybe his last snaps as a Raven if he can't perform to the expectation
2: yeah, fair enough. And, and you know, if you think about last back to last year in Week 17, the guy they started was Ben Powers. And it did not mean, unfortunately, that Ben Powers got the starting job to start the 2020 regular season because they had other options. And they really had to work through those as well. They never really gave Fluker a chance at right guard. They did give one to Phillips. They gave one to uh, Powers eventually, and they gave one to McCarey. I'm trying to think of anybody else has played right guard during this season for the Ravens. At least those three have. Uh, and uh, you know, anyway, they had young players that they needed to work through, which was more important than giving a player like Fluker a chance where uh, you're an older player. You don't have a, um, an option on his future in the same way you have an option for three more years on Phillips and three, two more years on McCary and two more years on powers where that that has a lot of value. So you really want to find out what your young players have as quickly as possible and, and, and hopefully make use of that. Completely agree. All right, so let's see. A TCC, a B overall. He had another, uh, what do you call it, a, a missed snap or snap infraction, false start, they called it. Uh, but anyway, only a third of a quarterback hit. That was his only uh, negative event. He did get run out of one pressure by Lamar. Uh, really good game for TCC. Frankly, much better than his first game by about two grade levels. And, uh, and I'm, I'm encouraged by that tremendously, and I thought that uh, there's, there's just a lot to like in there. Nine blocks in level two. Uh, in this game for him four to four on poles. so the mobility numbers really good and I, I don't think there's been as much question about him as a power player as there had been as him as a mobility player so it's nice to see that and uh, I do have to honestly discount some of it from for it being this game but I, I'm still impressed that he's moving around and, and finding a block
1: all right yeah um, this is this is about powers correct
2: And that was was still TCC. I'm moving on to Powers here.
1: Okay, I was just wanting to make sure. I was like, I don't know if we've gotten ahead or... You
2: want to start up Powers? Uh,
1: Yeah, sure. Let's go on it. Oh, okay. I mean, uh, from what I've seen with Powers, I'm pretty excited about... uh, what i've seen from him he's progressed really well um i thought he was going to come in and immediately have a job you know mm-hmm. that, you know especially with his interview being you know i look to to steal a man's soul from his yes. body i mean good <laughs> grief you get a you you want to talk about a personality that you want as a baltimore raven that's the guy you want i mean that's what we know from the Billick years of having a big personalities tough guys some you know some dogs in the house and i was really excited about that so you know, I was uh, I, I'm I'm thrilled with uh, his performance. I thought he I thought he played well, and uh, I'm overall, um, you know, as we mentioned, you want to evaluate pl- these young players as fast as you ha- as you can because you want to know what you have. That's what we were talking about with TCC. This is another guy that you got some more film on him heading into the offseason, You know, uh, hopefully not for a few more weeks, but uh, now you have a little bit more content to uh, you know go through and some more data to pull. And, uh, overall I've been, I've been up on, on powers and his play, uh, this year.
2: Okay. So fantastic game here. Uh, he had one, pre- one portion of a pressure that Lamar ran him out of, but he had okay. two missed blocks only six, sorry, 10 blocks in level two, six out of six on pulls, uh, a for this game. That's he's now got six straight games without a penalty. Now there's something I want to talk to you about this. Cause I know we have this as a common experience, but, um, it, 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 he is a player who had problems with penalties. Had two two penalty games earlier this year, but now six straight games without one. The guy I always associate with ironing out penalties in young players is Dallas Andres, uh, Joe D, Coach D, uh, and and we, I know we've been together at camp and seen this guy coaching the the offensive line, and they just do it in these small ten minute increments. So I think you get fifteen or sixteen of these per per. Uh, practice session and jody will have these guys and even though he only has 10 minutes he does these very individualized drills where he'll set up a three on two and it takes longer to set up it seems like then it, than it could possibly be worth it and you're not ramming through reps but he's so individualized in the way he does the reps that he comes over he talks to each player after the play and goes you know do this tell us your thoughts of jody because i want to get back to one particular point
1: i i really love coach d uh he's really fun to watch um he's He's the most technically sound person as a coach, I think, when we're out there. Um, I, it's a, like you mentioned, he's very individual uh, in coaching every single one of his players. And it's it's really stark to, to realize what the difference is between... Uh, a fan, uh, or even a, a you know a media representative, um, somebody that studies film like we do, and then what he does as a coach, mm-hmm. he can see any and all failures or successes in each movement of of a positioning of a player's arm, their wrist, their finger length, their distance between the fingers, uh, where their feet are placed, the the, the millimeters in difference that he can notice is something that I don't think uh, in any any part of my life I've, I've been so technically sound and, and keen on finding the successes and failures in the technicalities and in the details like Coach D, you know, Coach D is is all in the details. You know, that's what the D in, in Coach Alexander <laughs> stands for. Is what I'm i at. But I would love to hear uh, uh, the story that you're going. Uh, with see,
2: I I, I just this is Orlando Orlando Brown's rookie year. So he was he was in there at right tackle, and they had him set up in one of these three on two things. Because even though they're they only have one rep at a time to do, they're still only doing a three on two for one side of the line from mm-hmm. you know center to guard center to tackle over there. And and he he was there, and he's and it's a pass play blocking drill and and he kind of put his hands up. And and he goes, and he tells everybody, don't slap no and, and He knows what's happening. And and Orlando Brown just turned to him. He goes, what was I doing? And he goes, you're slapping at him. You're slapping at him. And, and <laughs> what, what I what I always hear about when I when I hear that voice and when I hear that thing in my mind is the voice of the penguin coming through, <laughs> and, and talking to Orlando Brown and telling him that. But he's he's tremendously astute. You mentioned some of the some of the things, but he'll he'll show you exactly how to move your feet and whatnot. But it's very much like you take one step and then you punch. You don't do this. You don't do that. And he's very specific and it gets into each player's uh thing it's also a little bit of a hollywood director in him that that after this rep goes he goes perfect perfect let's do it again you just love that so let's get one more take here yeah <laughs> so uh i
1: i've, I've always never, enjoyed watching i've never uh attributed that thing until you said it and then i go oh my gosh that's the, that's what the reference is I, I've never been keen to this before that's completely true that's that's how he sounds and that's exactly who it is oh that's absolute bold
2: so anyway real real fun things and if you ever get to go to camp make sure you look at those offensive line drills they they they're very fun to watch and the 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 players that are involved in that obviously are very good about about uh, dealing with that I think a lot of the outstanding footwork that Matt Skura has had. And the Ravens have had very few problems with centers blowing up poles, which often is a problem for other teams and was a problem, frankly, during the Matt Flynn era um, with, with the Ravens because footwork was bad and he would step on the quarterback's foot or he would step on the guard's foot or he would do other things, the wrong thing with his foot. Well, Dallas Sandras has coached that out of the players. So in addition to the penalties, we're seeing a lot of the benefits from that.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, somebody that was really looked at as a high uh, upside player was Greg Sanat, I think, for mm-hmm. many years, and that was because his footwork was great because he was, you know, a, a basketball talent as well. And I and I didn't have as much uh, of a upside look on him because I went, you know, Coach D'Allis Sanders can coach footwork in anybody. <laughs> you know, he can get anybody to get into the right position, and they can he can get them to move around at the, you know just like anybody and he can do it with the bigger players the smaller play- you know he can coach footwork just about into anybody and that's why I wasn't so ex- ex- exuberant on Sanat back then is because I was like coach you know D'Alessandres is going to be able to take care of that on on somebody that's bigger or more talented in the blocking schemes than uh than Sonat was
2: yeah it's they got a Sonat was a raw guy and obviously a mm-hmm. small school guy but I think part of the reason they took him was they knew that whatever was raw about him fundamentally could be coached up to from Dallas Andrews. So that gives the Ravens a lot of ability to go for a mid-round guy where they they may be more like his tools mm-hmm. than another team another team would and they've they've been uh, outstanding at finding guys there that are good.
1: They've just uh, you know across the board they've been able to land these these uh, talents uh, and, you know, TCC is yet another one of those, you know, mm-hmm. an undrafted guy that's come in and they coached them up. Uh, Bradley Bozeman, six-round pick, they've coached them up. You know, this team has really been able to churn out offensive line talent, uh, you know, to the degree that they've always been heralded for producing linebacker D- talent.
2: Def- and defensive good. line talent, yeah. Yep. yep,
1: perfect. Perfect.
2: Uh, all right, let's go on here. We've got to kind of pick up the pace a little bit here. But DJ Fluker, very good power game that was wasted by penalties. And, I, I, you know, this is just the way it is. 32 snaps. He missed five blocks uh, but had no pressure events allowed. He didn't even have anybody run out of a pressure. Lamar didn't help him by running out of a pressure. But he had an offensive hold and uh, an illegal man downfield penalty. Those are both extra bad penalties for a reason I'll explain in a second. Is because they create an option for the offense. So the, I'm sorry for the defense, that the, uh, an offensive hold penalty, you think of it as being 10 yards. Well, it's not exactly 10 yards. It's 10 yards and no loss of down at the best. At the worst, it could be a sack. It could be, you know, a a incomplete pass on third down to end a drive that you, you, you ignore the penalty and you, you decline it. Uh, So you gotta be, those penalties are actually more serious than a penalty of equal distance. So an illegal downfield pass, five yard penalty. For being illegally downfield, it's the same as a false start, except it's not as the same as a false start because a false start is pre-snap and and you can't decline it. So the uh, the advantage of that free play is uh is of high value. So Fluker in, in both these cases, these penalties, I'm going to go into some of the math in the article this about about why uh, I think the grade is fair here. But he had a very good power game. Otherwise, he had six level two blocks, four pancakes led the team, five out of five on pulls, and. That's DJ Fluker, folks. DJ Fluker making five out of five pulls. Do we ever think we'd see that at right tackle, given the way you know, he kind of lumbers and, and moves the way he does? But he really got around well in this game. Uh, the grade, unfortunately, is only a high F after I make the deductions for the penalties. If you went before the penalties, he'd be a low B otherwise. So... That that's sounds difference.
1: about right. Yeah, it sounds about right. You know, those penalties are killers. They they stall drives, they end drives, and uh, you know that's his. I believe sixth offensive holding penalty this. Oh, season. is it? Wow. One mm-hmm. of them was declined, so you know technically five if that's the route you want to go. But overall, you know he's he has an he's a very up and down player. You know, and and nothing describes that more than what you said. You know, he had four pancakes. He hit five of five on these on these poles, but also struggled to. Uh, uh, with these penalties, and he's struggled all season throughout, and uh, overall, uh, high upside player, but also, you know, low floor player at the same time, and, and uh, he's a veteran, um, you know, you want him to be more consistent, you know, he's been in the league for so many years, you'd hope he'd have more consistency, but the inconsistencies in play are what is the most consistent with him.
2: Yeah, he's been playing out 10 weeks at tackle, so since week eight, he's been at right tackle. And his earlier play, he played you know, 22 staffs at left tackle in the opener, 53 against Washington at right tackle. But since week eight, he's been in there for at least some part of the game at right tackle. And he's really only had an aggregate of two bad games. And this, this wasn't even a fall-off-the-charts F. It was a high F, uh, which is a big difference because you can really fall off the charts as he has once. But he, he, uh, he had a bad game against New England, he had, and that was really a bad half. He had a bad game against Pittsburgh, which was, again, another just a bad, a little more than a half. And against Cincinnati now, he's had another bad half. It's really been two full games, if you aggregate all that together, that he hasn't played well. And all his other stuff is a C or better, with three A's and three B's worked in there. So I've been very pleasantly surprised by how well he's been able to hold up at right tackle, given what the... you know how much the ravens need that position to work and how thin i thought they were with only stanley and brown at the start of the year.
1: yeah, fluger has filled in rather well. um i think you you hope for better things just because um i believe he was a first round pick and uh you know, he's he's well regarded in being just a big mauler kind of guy. And you do need the right tackle position to work in the Ravens' offense, with them being such a run-centric focus. Uh, that's the, that was what their success was in 2019, was mm-hmm. the combination of Marshall Yonda, you know, an absolute dominant right guard, with uh, you know, a young, budding Orlando Brown Jr. Mm-hmm. So you hope Fluker's run uh, blocking is successful in that regard as well.
2: Okay, so now you're, you're the GM of the Ravens now. Do you bring Fluker back for next year?
1: Well, that's a tough question. Um, was also not truly expecting that. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a pretty solid question. I think I think you have to with Stanley returning off of a knee, well, off an ankle injury. You worry about his mobility, and uh, you want to give him the full time it takes to heal. And you want to sl- you want to work him into the reps that he can get. And uh, you know, with Orlando Brown Jr. performing well at left tackle, you know um, that allows you to try and, and work in other people at right tackle and fluker can be a part of that competition at worst, a part of the 90 man roster.
2: Yeah. So they could at least have him for camp and then, right. and then not hopefully give him too much guaranteed money that they can just ask him to go. But yep. I, I think a player like him with the season he's had, and he's had over 500 snaps and played pretty well, there's enough tape out there that somebody probably will want him. It won't be a huge deal, but somebody's going to want him as an important backup piece and, And I'm not sure the Ravens need him the most of any of the teams. Just there's not too much aggregate dollars to spend in the whole league with the COVID cap coming up. And and I think the Ravens are one of the teams that it would make a lot of sense for him to return to. And sometimes a ball player, even for, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars is not going to want to, you know, move again and deal with all that crap. So if he likes the situation here, maybe he'd stay.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. You know, the Ravens are always heralded as a first-class organization. They're great with their players, and people have come here, you know, come to Baltimore to play for less. Or, And I really like the point that, man, moving is not fun. And uh, <laughs> players, when they've made the money they've made, $100,000, or packing all your stuff and traveling with your family or what so have you all the way across the country or to a different location to move and sell your house, buy a new place. They don't want to deal with that, and the money difference uh, can sometimes be enough to sway them back to uh, a team for a a lesser cost.
2: There you go. All right, we'll go real quickly here with Tyree Phillips, 41 scored snaps. He got a B for the game. I I don't have a lot to say about his game, uh, so so I won't. Bredesen, The interesting thing here was he got all of the sixth offensive line snaps, made 14 of 17 blocks, did actually play pretty well. Three blocks in level two, a pancake. He had a highlight. I'll go into that more in the article for people who really want to know what Ben Bredesen did. But it's maybe a little surprising that Matt Skura was not the sixth offensive lineman in this game, especially considering Harbaugh had been doing something he's only done for a few players. Carr is one other I remember, where he was continuing Skura's start streak by having him play as a sixth offensive lineman on the first play of the game.
1: Yeah, that's a little bit peculiar, you know. Uh, that they're the Ravens are really good about doing stuff like that to keep things going. And uh, Carr was definitely the guy that I thought of uh, when you mentioned the snap streak before. You know, um, overall, I think uh, you know the Bredesen being utilized as that sixth offensive lineman is a testament to the earlier conversation that they all want to see what these young guys are capable of, and they want to be able to evaluate them as soon as possible and get a head start instead of sit back on it.
2: Yeah, it's another good point. I really do want to see some snaps from Bredesen. I think Bredesen has had so little inline play, and I don't know whether he's played a series or two at guard or or what he might have done so far. I'd have to really look back. But they really need him be playing more in the middle five, not as an eligible receiver, not as a you know a tight end uh, who's who's you know reporting on these plays. Uh, I don't I don't feel like they've had that yet. and They probably won't get that until next preseason when they finally have him get some live fire in games.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, I don't see them swapping him in anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah. Um, Let's talk Lamar. Uh, So I have a lot of similar comments about Lamar from week to week, but there's a few different things about this game. Uh, One of the things I loved, and I'm going to start with this one, I think, is that the Bengals had rushed three or four for the entire game for the first 20, Five minutes and at 25 and a half minutes then they faced third and eight the Ravens had third and eight at the 18 yard line q2 431 if you want to go back and take a look at that play all of a sudden the Bengals sent their first real pressure a 7-0 blitz meaning they sent seven uh in, in total and Jackson immediately beat it with the 18 yard touchdown to Brown
1: I mean Jackson, uh, you know this is uh, this reminds me of something Harbaugh I believe said a long time ago that like we didn't have the weapons to to blitz uh, this particular team. I think he was talking about the New England Patriots. He's like we didn't have the talent to blitz the New England Patriots. Um, you know we just didn't have uh, the guys there to get home, and we knew that the coverage wasn't gonna be able to last. And they were beating us. We were running zone. They were cutting us up. We were trying to play man. We were trying to play it safe. And finally, we go. You know what? We got to send the blitz. And we send the blitz. And instantly, what happens? Forty-four yard touchdown happens on us. And this uh, this, this is the exact same story. Is the Bengals couldn't compete, and they had to try and play it safe, and that wasn't working either. So you know what? We got to do something to combat this. We got to try and get to. We got to try and get home. And instantly, <laughs> this is what Lamar does. Is he uh, he hits his man for the touchdown.
2: Yeah, a really extremely well blocked play, but but Jackson had to deal with a free runner and immediately got the ball out. Uh the read was hot. It was a it was a man read on Brown against this I think the safety, but it might have been a corner. But anyway, it was a man read and, yeah. and he threw the ball where only Brown could get it and he did. A wonderful, wonderful throw there. Uh the Ravens I, I thought uh made it very easy for the offensive line. We've talked about that a number of times. They're running out of pressure. Uh, being what it is, but also just the freezing of the edge defender, the additional time it's allowed for double teams to develop was never felt more than in this game. And obviously, the Bengals did their part to improve that situation by not really wanting to engage with their blocks too actively, and allowing those double teams to be very effective and the move ups to level two to be very effectively for the run, be very effective in fueling that run game.
1: I mean, Jackson's the most dynamic athlete on that field and you know anytime he's on the field he's the most dynamic athlete and any edge defender can't make the misread and and so they're trying to do the right thing but to do so they're taking pause in that and they're freezing that edge defender like you said and 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 that only gives uh more of an advantage to jackson because he already has the step if you're giving him time yeah he gets to execute and you don't get to react against lamar jackson you have to take your action and you got to sometimes just hope that you've made the right call yeah yeah i've I've been uh Uh,
2: it's just, it's been a pleasure to watch him play these last five weeks. And I know the defenses he's faced have not been great, but the formula is really working in terms of he's not throwing a whole lot of passes when he does. I don't know that it's really a surprise, but the team always has to be prepared for the run more. And so play action is working and, you know, him getting the ball out of his hands quickly is working and him scrambling is working when other things don't work about, about, you know, the coverage uh, can't hold up forever. Uh, He's, he's, controlling the pocket in a way that we don't normally see in terms of he moves around the pocket in and out of it very naturally. We saw that probably more than any on that 44-yard touchdown pass against Cleveland when he came in and saved the day on fourth and five. But, you know, that that was a, a six-man blitz. The Ravens had it blocked up with five guys. You'd have thought that was, you know, a four-man rush, the way he just easily rolled out of the pocket to the right, had all the time in the world, gravitationally pulled two defenders that weren't blitzing towards him and then easily hit Brown for the, for the score.
1: He's just a fluid mover, and he does it with such uh, speed that it's... It's bewildering at times is, is the word that I tend to continuously use about him. Um, yeah, he's been throwing the ball excellent. You know, he's, uh, he's played... He's played to the moment, and I think that really started with that Browns game, to dial it back a couple games, is just, you know, he was called upon in a big moment, and he answered, and then when the Browns went back and scored, he, he did it again. He did. He drove the team down the field, and he's executing well, and he's continued to do that. He's thrown nine touchdowns over the last uh, four weeks. He's uh, rushed for another three. Um, he's at over a 1,000 combined yards passing, rushing, um, and he's just... Like you mentioned, over these last few games, has been just dazzling to watch.
2: Now, in this five-game stretch, they've had four games where they've destroyed the opponent and led by so much that it was never a case of, of Jackson coming back. And then they had the Browns game where they led, they blew a big lead while he was having his bathroom break, and then he came back from came back, threw the touchdown, put him back ahead. As you mentioned, the Browns really moved right down the field and scored too quickly. Uh, frankly gave Jackson time and then he completed all five of his passes after returning to the field had just had one spike in there that that obviously doesn't count uh right before the field goal and i i think it just answers every question about is lamar jackson a you know a quarterback who can bring you back uh we still we haven't he hasn't been brought anybody back from 21 but those kind of comebacks are so rare for any quarterback i don't think you can point to them it, it, it coming up with the clutch play when he needed the clutch play is something now Lamar Jackson has done enough in his career to go with all of the unmitigated pedal to the metal destructions he's done of other teams
1: yeah I like that uh, my other argument against the whole oh he doesn't have the talent to come back it's not his fault him and his team are scoring so much that they don't have to deal with coming back because they were posting in 2019 40 burgers on you know just about everybody in the league And they had a you know a twelve game win streak I believe. Mm -hmm. And this year, you know, he's gone out there like it's not his fault that he doesn't have to deal with comebacks because his team for the most part is either in every game by a single score, and most times they're uh, you know leading their opponent by ten plus in events.
2: Yeah, so it's one of the a good article I wrote on the uh, wrote read on the topic. What said that talked about quarterbacks generating comebacks. That were of their own design, meaning they'd created the problems that got them into this this hole in the start, and then they were able to get themselves out of it. And I, it's it's one of the really silly things about about looking at, at quarterbacks just from a comeback perspective. When you get down to that, you really are talking about the Ravens being the number one team in terms of of point differential. I don't think is recognized enough in terms of just how powerful the team this team is going into the playoffs, and they'll be going into a year where. Uh, the road, the home advantage should not be particularly significant.
1: Oh, absolutely not. I don't. I, you know, uh, there's a there's a fine line between whoever has to not this week, but next week, go to Kansas City and play an Arrowhead, you know, an Arrowhead Stadium with and without you know the roaring of fans. And the same goes for you know the Ravens heading to Tennessee. They don't have to deal with a packed stadium that's Celebrates and roars every time Derrick Henry gets the football, be it a positive or negative gain, just because mm-hmm. they get to watch that guy run across the field or uh, any significant place. Um, I am of the mind that uh, I think momentum is a thing in games. I know it's uh, widely disputed. I don't know where you <laughs> fall on that, but I'm a guy that thinks uh, you know momentum is real. I felt it uh, when I was playing you know sports in my younger years. But uh, you know, and not having to deal with the possibility of momentum swinging so heavily against their opponents uh, is going to be pretty pretty sweet when it comes to the road games that the Ravens will have to deal with. Hopefully, they end up with a home though.
2: All right, very cool. It would be cool if they if they played a home game, either the AFC Championship or or even next week it would be it'd be great if they got to play. Who would it be? I guess it would be the Browns, right? Because the yep. Indianapolis is the
3: yeah.
2: uh let's talk scheme so anything you'd like to add on this uh i'll I'll let you think about it for a second i'll bring up a a item first is we talked about a little bit about the bengals have no desire to play this game so i don't need to bring up that again uh they won the snap count 73 to 40 not exactly a scheme thing but i will say this that good good defense feeds off good offense your your good defense benefits from the time of possession necessary to keep their own snap count down. So you win the game, you wear the other team out on defense by running a lot of offensive snaps by number. But you keep your own defense protected from high snap counts by running a lot of time off the clock. So they're both important, time of possession and snap count. But I thought the benefit, the the, the defense tremendously benefited from that in this game. And they only had 40 defensive snaps, which was the fewest in team history for, with two other... Uh, times that that's occurred previously.
1: I thought that was a really great point, is that you know, when when on broadcast, they're like, "Man, the Ravens have been down on this drive for 14 minutes." And it's like, mm-hmm. well, they've only ran maybe eight or nine plays. But when they get into, it, they get deep in the in the numbers on grinding down a run because, oh man, they get another third down conversion and they get another third down conversion. It's a fourth and one, and they grind through that one and they get the first. That's what I feel wears down the. You know, that's what you said is it's about wearing down your opponent and keeping your guy fresh, and both of those are are necessary in the equation that running more snaps means they have to work more, not that they're just on the field more because, you know, when you're moseying about on an eight play drive, um, that's not as exhaustive as a 14 play drive that's marched the field down and, and has also worn out the opponent for 14 minutes while you've kept the other opponent fresh. And that's a really significant scheme uh, uh, notif- like notice that uh, I really liked about that.
2: Yeah, so definitely it's been a, been the formula for the 19 and 20 Ravens. It's good to see them be able to continue it now. Hopefully they can take it into the postseason. They're facing a not very great Tennessee defense, and there honestly is no reason why they have to feel the primetime jitters. It won't be actually be in primetime. It'll be Sunday at 1 p.m., but I don't know if that'll help. But they don't need to feel the jitters. Uh, this time, I don't believe they're facing a defense that just is, frankly, not very good, very similar to the last four defenses or five defenses they've faced and uh, they're perfectly capable of rolling right over this defense in the same way.
1: I think the the only notable things to fear with this defense is are, are the playmakers on that defense. You know, Kevin Byard is capable mm-hmm. of running stride for stride with Mark Andrews, and maybe even canceling him out of the game. You know, because that that is one talented safety. Uh, they have a solid cornerback uh, duo, I believe, there in in Tennessee, but. Something that I think is excitable that the Ravens need to take advantage of is the third down defense of the Titans has been very weak. And uh, something that I mentioned on on uh, uh, a show for for Baltimore Beatdown was this team has only 19 sacks on defense. The Titans have only sacked the quarterback 19 times. That's incredibly low. And for people that complain so much about the Ravens defense not getting enough sacks on the quarterbacks, um, they you know that's they had I believe 39 this year. So. Cut that in half, and that's what the uh, the Titans' production level is uh, on sacks. So that's something that they should really take advantage of. And uh, you know, the tackles and the entire offensive line as a whole, and also Lamar Jackson, need to be just cognizant of uh, that they aren't uh, that great at this particular uh, play or this particular um, you know part of, of defense. And uh, exploiting it is what they truly need to do.
2: Yeah, it's pretty cool that the Ravens get to third down. And it's often two down territory. Certainly, if they're on the other side of the fifty. Sometimes, if they're only even on their own side of the fifty. Yeah. Uh, and and it's a it's definitely an opportunity. And it's very demoralizing to to constantly not be able to get off the field. It's you know you, you just. You just feel like every set of downs, there's so much riding on first down in terms of making a play to either get them stuck for no gain, maybe get them to throw an incomplete pass or, or, or tackle them for a small loss or no gain. It's, it's the only way you're ever going to get the other team off the field. And I think we even saw some of that against the Bengals and that they were declining five yard penalties on first down when the Ravens got a two yard gain on a play. That was yeah, very odd.
1: Yeah, uh, I I think this is uh, something is just uh, that's a part of my momentum belief is that, man, when it's third and two and the Ravens lean forward and they get the third or it's uh, third and nine and all of a sudden Marquise Brown gets his second catch of the game and of course it moves the chains and it's demoralizing and that's a a big factor in games is is attitude and it it can truly sway, sway a game. And uh, and I like to think of it from the fact, like, the, you know, look at it negatively as a Ravens fan and going, oh, the Ravens need to get the ball back, like in the last, you know, face off, uh, the last matchup, excuse me, against the Tennessee Titans. Of they got to get off the field, they they got to get this defense off the field, they got to stop Henry. You just got three plays, you got to stop them. So the Ravens came back on offense and hopefully they can get the ball moving again, get some points on the board, and it's just not happening. Mm-hmm. And it's not happening. You watch the ticker go down. As it goes through, and uh, it, it's it's excruciating uh, as a fan and, I assume, player.
2: The <laughs> uh, Ravens uh, played a little more pony backfield in this game. Uh, there were three snaps by my count. I could be wrong on that, but I also take running back, total running back snaps, subtract out total snaps, and I get to three uh, also. It's interesting that they keep doing this week after week, but I think it is a function of not having tight ends. I think actually if there were tight ends available, uh, this would not be something Roman would be doing, but it does provide them uh, an extra way to attack. And I think, you know, having the read option from last year, the the power read was giving them two options in terms of a a play up the middle and a run. They were not using it ever as a true triple option where they might have thrown a pass out of it, but... This year, they, they do have sort of a triple option when they have an option with motion, an option with a straight-ahead run, and an option with a, uh, with a uh, run to the outside in the other direction. So uh, they've been doing a great job with that. I'm, 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 I think Roman is probably, next year when he has additional tight ends, and I assume that's the case, will probably stick with more, or occasionally at least, using this pony backfield.
1: Um, I don't know that for certain, because if they're getting Nick Boyle back, they just love him far too much mm-hmm. to uh, keep him on the on the sidelines, especially with how much he's being paid. Um, but I do agree with you that this is likely due to uh, fewer tight ends on uh, available on game day.
2: 51 snaps for a card in this game. Now, that's a career high for him. He had not uh, had any games, and you know... It hasn't been atypical when they've had their regular set of tight ends that Ricard's been 15, 16, 17 snaps. Uh, We we commented once earlier this year when he had, I think it might have been 22, 23, 24, and it was more than any running back, and that was a big deal. 51 snaps in this game. So he's an an enormous part of an offense, obviously, whenever they want to run the football.
1: Yeah, they really do like him. I think uh, sometimes they're trying to uh, utilize him far too much. But in a game where the run game is absolutely dominating and you're able to produce what they did in the end, 400 rushing yards, um, he's going to be a proponent of that. And uh, his talents are, you you know, especially with the lack of uh, blocking uh, tight ends on the roster, this is a guy that you got to look to. Just because of the possibility of him threatening uh, anything other than being a blocker, being an option in the receiving game, uh, you got to account for him.
2: All right. We've talked about most of the players now on the offense, but is there a player you'd like to talk about from a uh, just an individual performance basis that you'd like to discuss? We usually alternate at this point.
1: Um, I think Miles Boykin is a guy that I've been really curious about. Uh, he's he's doing this thing where he's uh, he's on the field and he gets one reception. He gets either one or two targets a game and uh he's he's alternating uh weeks i believe for the last four or five even at this point that he's just catching a touchdown pass and then he's uh he's he's not noticed in the receiving game for the rest of it i believe his blocking ability has been really uh significant and helping uh move into the second level on some blocks or getting around the edge um you know he's that big bodied receiver um i've i've enjoyed what i've seen from him and uh and from a, a standpoint of, you know, as soon as they signed Des Bryant, that was the big warning flag for, for Boykin that he needed to step up and and begin making the plays necessary to stay on this roster long term. And uh, the touchdowns have come in, and uh, that just might be enough to save him uh, a, a spot for uh, 2021.
2: I, I, I don't think there's any doubt about him having a spot, but that's okay. That, the, that touchdown pass down the middle, that was a thing of beauty. And that's exactly what we've been waiting for in terms of Boykin. They've had more extended pockets this year, and I've heard the argument made that Boykin's speed is mostly long speed, that he takes a long time to build up, and it creates. he doesn't have the same ability to cut and, and make breaks that other receivers do, which limits some of his, his capabilities in terms of fooling the defensive back. So if you play a little soft as a defensive back, you may have the ability to make up. But then if you, if, if, if you become the last line of defense— Against Miles Boykin, he can do exactly what he did to the the Bengals back in this game, just outrun you, and uh, that's where he becomes really dangerous. And he's it, when the play has broken down, that's when Boykin's been much more dangerous this year and last, for that matter, in terms of some of the touchdowns he had. He had three, and and two of the three were on busted plays. The third one was on a designed rub route, and and I just I love to see. Jackson taking advantage of Boykin and you know having a little trust with him. This wasn't a big trust throw. It was wide open but but I, I love to see him trust Boykin to a greater degree
1: yeah you know like you said it's always on broken down plays is where boykin has thrived that's where his red zone touchdown receptions have come from you know he had a 13-yard reception for a touchdown a 15 yard this one was 43 of course in the most recent game against the Bengals. but he's always in the red zone and when things start breaking down jackson exits the pocket or he maneuvers his way through it and he's going to find uh one of the bigger targets it feels like Mm -hmm. mark andrews or miles boykin you know he's not looking to the smaller receivers or tailbacks as much and uh there's been the, the what I would even say uh sure-handed uh receiver in Boykin.
2: Yeah. I've I've really liked what he's become and I, I hope they'll be a bigger part of the offense. I had him for much more targets this year. We did a little preliminary show. I thought he'd have about 65 targets this year. Didn't happen, but uh but I'm glad to see he's finally getting a bigger role in the offense now. Des Bryant is really I, to to my way of thinking has been a, a character who's kind of underscored what's going on but we saw this is this is AJ Green's last professional game I'm pretty sure he was terrible uh <laughs> 0 for oh for 6 in terms of targets two interceptions uh it, it, no effort which was the other bad thing he's had all these lip reading issues this year about just trade me just trade me to who I mean who who wants AJ Green at this point in his career
1: yeah and uh, even you know as a person that you know I, I, I very much did not enjoy watching A.J. Green for the last, what, decade has it mm-hmm. been now? Just abuse the Baltimore Ravens, you know, with the nickname Raven Killer, as he's been known. Um, I'm not interested in even seeing him in a Baltimore Ravens uniform with the lack of effort that he's demonstrated and the lack of production and what potential is left there you know nothing that uh we haven't seen in the countless veterans that receivers that the baltimore ravens have signed you know at the at the twilights of everybody's career his doesn't look anywhere near as bright as what bolden's was a long time ago or what steve smith seniors was yes heck even michael crabtree looked like he was going to be you know when he showed up at baltimore a a player of some caliber um jeremy wallace as well yeah yeah, Mike Wallace. You know, you can name all these guys that like you're like, oh, this guy probably has some upside left. He's got something left in the tank. AJ Green most certainly does not look like that. At least not right now.
2: yeah he's he had nine nine yards per target in his career, and he and he's down to five yards per target this year, five and uh, that's terrible. And and you know, I look at Des Bryant, his yards per target's even worse with the Ravens this year. But Des Bryant is trying. He made two mm-hmm. good blocks in this game. Uh, you know, one on a run by Dobbins, one on a run by Jackson, left and right sideline respectively. Uh, you know. I like at least his effort, okay? I, I think it was a bad decision to bring him in and take a bunch of snaps away from Boykin and Duvernay to basically put him on the field. But at least he's trying. I couldn't stand to have Green doing that with the Ravens right now. And, you know, you listen to Twitter, everybody wants, wants a player like Green if he becomes available.
1: Of course. You know, everybody wants to see the guy that, you know— dominated the Baltimore Ravens for so long to no longer be a threat by just simply having him in their uniform, but he isn't that same guy anymore. Um, I liked the signing of Des Bryant just because, one, I was a fan of Bryant for years and I always wanted him to be in a Ravens uniform, but also because uh, I thought it was a motivating thing for Boykin to see like, hey, if you're not going to be up to the task, we'll find a veteran that just came off an Achilles injury who hasn't played in a couple years, you know, just due to the injuries. He's going to show up and he's going to give the effort level and Harbaugh praised him for for his effort in the blocking of, uh, of one of those touchdowns, I believe. And, uh, and Des Bryant has shown up and been the cliche phrase that is a consummate professional mm-hmm. is what I've seen from Des Bryant.
2: Right. I, 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 I can see that. I just can't see any receiving talent is still there. And I, I think from that perspective, they should have known it. And, you know, you had to take weapons off the field to put him on the field. I can buy the motivational thing a little bit. I just I, The number of snaps he's had in order to get that motivation, I can't, that's too high a price.
1: I think that's fair to. I think that's fair to say. Uh, when I've been uh, approached on like, what do you think of Des Bryant so far? What have you evaluated from him? I've said he has done nothing more or less significant than the guys they've taken off of the field. So in that regard, I agree with you. Like the touchdowns he's caught, like is that something that he wowed that would have been different than what Miles Boykin could have produced? I don't mm. think so. But I think him being there. Really sparked this uh, this team as like, hey, we're gonna we're, like if we have to go get veterans that that need to show up on this team, like then we're gonna do it because this is a year that you know we have a chance to get to the postseason and maybe make a run. And if you're not gonna put up the effort to do so, we're gonna find somebody that does. And I, that's what I'm believing.
2: In. Okay, well let's 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 talk about this for the postseason because the Ravens are strapped for roster spots and particularly on defense where they need against the Titans. I believe to have both five cornerbacks active and five defensive linemen, which probably means they have to play an extra offensive. Sorry, take an extra offensive player off the field. Is this the week you take Des Bryant off the field?
1: Um, it depends on whether or not Willie Sneed is coming back healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I think is is a part of it um Ingram being active I don't see as a Mm -hmm. as a factor coming up here um maybe even Justice Hill I know he does some things on special teams that are are valuable enough to where he's been finding a a role on this offense you know on, on the field and on active on game days but if it comes down to it maybe Des Bryant is the inactive if uh if that's the way that you have to trend. Because I agree with you that there needs to be DBs on this team because they're losing one per week is what it feels like. And you also need to have those blockers in there. And uh, and, and maybe this could be the week that you take Dez Bryant down. But also, um, you know, he's, uh, he's made a lot of plays in his career. And uh, maybe he's got one left. And, and that could be the thinking of uh, keeping Dez active. On there or that like you you're worried that you're gonna have to get into a shootout and you're gonna need all the receiving talent possible or you're worried that the the titans could do the same thing and get you down into a hole and that's gonna cause you to uh to react by keeping des Bryant active on game day so you have another target for jackson to to focus on if things trend south
2: all right fair enough josh how are we doing with the mailbag today
4: all right. Well, I believe you guys—you guys have pretty much covered everyone on this offense. Um, the real mailbag questions is kind of just actives and actives, which you've covered some of for, and kind of just looking forward to how this offense then attacks Tennessee this time.
2: Uh, okay. Well, I, I, how will they attack Tennessee? I think lots of play action. Uh, they'll—they'll they'll try and use. Their triple option plays that have been working pretty well, which is usually a counter, a two-man counter, an option to run up the middle, and an option to use speed to the left side when the counter is moving to the right, uh, when the two-man pull is moving to the right. I, I think you know those probably are the are the bread and butter weapons that I go into. Tennessee has very similar stuff. They don't use as much line movement. They do more just pure power blocking with one puller, but uh, but we could see a lot of that from them too. And the Ravens are going to figure out need to figure out how to. Uh, how to figure out Tannehill and play action just the same way
1: yeah you got to make that team uh the, the Titans offense one-dimensional um and you can't you can't allow them to start hitting you over the top the problem is that's that's far easier said than done yes play action is quite a threat when it comes to their running back being Derek Henry who posted 2,000 rushing yards this season you know um, and also their wide receiver talents are there. I don't know whether or not Corey Davis is uh, is going to spring back into action. He's been struggling these last few weeks, I believe. Um, and A.J. Brown is is uh is quite the uh receiving threat um you know uh this is something also that i spoke about in a different show was that you know a lot of people are just oh throw marlon humphrey on him one-on-one he's fine you know Mm -hmm. because marlon humphrey is a great great in coverage and he's tough and uh strong and you know he's always attributed as the linebacker playing cornerback unfortunately A.J. Brown is uh, like a running back playing wide receiver. Yeah. You know, he's got some tenacious uh, play-making ability in him, and he's, he's big, strong, powerful, and everything that you'd hope for in a wide receiver. So trying to make them one-dimensional is, is, is the hope because I think, they, I think they have the talent to stop, um, to stop the, the rushing attack of Derrick Henry. Um, Calais Campbell and Brandon Williams were not in the, 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 the regular season rematch, right. and it was Derek Wolf's job, and he did a tremendous job, uh, if I remember correctly, bottling up the, the rushing attack of Henry until an overtime you know, rushing touchdown uh, that occurred. Um, something I want to take great notice of is the Ravens, after the loss to the Tennessee Titans, did everything in their power to build up for this game. They you know, they traded and signed Calais Campbell. They signed Derek Wolf. They were attempting to sign Michael Brockers at one point. They drafted Broderick Washington and Justin Matabike. They drafted two linebackers, Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison. These are the guys that you you know, when you went, Oh man, we can't let Tennessee do this to us again. This is the game that Eric DeCosta and the Baltimore Ravens brass uh, decided we're gonna build a team to combat this kind of opponent. This is the game you gotta do it on.
2: Yeah, I, you're right. I mean, a lot of the offseason will have failed if they don't get this win on Sunday uh, in some sense.
1: That's where I've been at.
2: And, and,
4: and it's, also, it's also noteworthy that Lamar is playing differently oh, yeah. since that
2: Tennessee game.
4: He's passed the ball a lot less past attempts and ran the ball a lot more
2: since then. So it's more of Lamar being Lamar, so it's a whole yeah, different makes, game. It makes the passing game much more effective when they're running two-thirds of the time instead of you know, 35% of the time
1: completely agree
4: there
2: sure right
4: all right get in your questions uh as we look more ahead and uh, we've got know your foe coming up so get in your questions if you have any other questions specifically about the titans as we get ready for this game for that um kyle what's going on over at baltimore beatdown that we can uh plug and get people to go take a look at
1: um we've just been churning out the the traditional content of uh knowing your enemy some similar to your know your foe we do have the uh, behind enemy lines essentially uh we try to contact uh you know the weekly opponent uh seeing um a behind the curtains look from uh you know music city miracles which is the tennessee titans uh sb nation website and they'll be covering stuff um you know spencer schultz has probably got some film articles on the way um if you want to check out our podcast after you enjoy this lovely show uh, go to uh, you know Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, wherever you get yours, Spotify, Apple. Um, we also have been doing, uh, myself, uh, I've been doing Twitch streaming. I've been live streaming post games on twitch.tv slash Baltimore Beatdown, talking about the games. And then I do a little bit of fun as well. It's not just about business. It's a little bit of pleasure. And it's playing some video games and hanging out and taking hmm. any and all questions, mailbags, stuff. Uh, hanging out there. Uh, right now we are playing Backyard Football, which is uh, <laughs> an adorable old-school video game from, I believe, the 90s, early 2000s. So uh, we've been messing around on that as well. Um, my uh, Twitter account is at BB underscore Kyle P. Barber. And the main show, the flagship uh, Twitter account, is going to be at more beatdown.
2: All right. Well, Kyle, we really appreciate having you on. Uh, always a pleasure to talk with you and, and, uh, and swap old stories because we, you know, you're someone I always look forward to seeing at camp when I was there. Uh, Josh, what what's going on with three thirty six? Anything new there?
4: Uh, yeah, it was yesterday. was Monday, so there was a new new episode of three thirty six recorded yesterday. Um, I don't remember what we talked about because that's how 336 (laughs) goes, is my brother and I talk for an hour, hour and 15, and then I um, disconnect and forget. I know we talked to Orioles. I know we talked to Ravens, and we always get on topics, so I'm sure we talked other things, non-sports related as well. So that's over at uh, section336.com or wherever you get podcasts as well. All right, and then uh full week of film study this yep. week.
2: Yep, full week of film study. So we have the the all the normal stuff. I think everybody knows by, by now we have the offensive pod, the defensive pod comes out first. Know your foe, buy the numbers, offensive and defensive articles. And the other thing we're we trying to promote more is some of the more gallery work. We've got a couple of guys now who are doing some gallery work for us, Brent Dawson and Josh Mastiko, who's outstanding. Uh, some of you know him as Organized Chaos 21. Uh, or OC21, but uh, but he's he has some great uh, visuals that we're going to be adding to the site, and we want to make sure people go out and check those as well. Uh, Kyle, I want to thank you again for coming on. Uh, real pleasure to talk to you again.
1: Ken, yeah, I was really happy to to speak with you once more. My schedule was rather uh, hectic this this year, uh, senior year here at uh, Colorado State University, and uh, got everything with football, bartending, and of course uh, everything that's going on with this current climate. So uh, I'm happy to finally be on here. I was on winter break, and uh, I enjoy speaking with you. I always looked forward to watching, you know, watching uh, the Ravens' training camps together and, and finding out, uh, you know, picking each other's brains. So I'm happy to be on here with your show, man.
2: All right, really let's enjoy. make let's make sure we have you on at least once next year as well. I appreciate having Absolutely. you on, and I'll talk to you next time on Film Study.